standard issue for all women. Hi, Hannah here, and welcome to the second of our two Sunday chops that we are spoiling you with today. The first is part of our LGBT History Month series, and that is an interview that I conducted with Olivia Potter Hughes from the NUSUSI, which is essentially the Students' Union in Northern Ireland. We talked about how people in Northern Ireland still very much waiting for marriage equality and what might happen next in that campaign and how we can help. So when you have finished listening to this episode, feel free to go over and listen to that too. If you listen to this week's podcast, you may have heard a snippet from an interview that I did with the author Kate Thompson and with Mari who is better known in Kate's book as Girl Walker. Kate has written a brilliant book called The Stepney Doorstep Society, which is about how the East End was essentially run by matriarchs during the Second World War and in the years afterwards. It's a book that opens with a woman throwing a hot jacket potato into a bailiff's balls, and it just gets better from there. Honestly, it's a great book. It's a great read. If you enjoyed this interview, I suggest you go out and buy it. Thanks for listening. Until next week. I'm here at Penguin headquarters in London with author Kate Thompson and Mari, a.k.a. Girl Girl Walker, to talk about a brilliant new book that I've just read called The Stepney Doorstep Society. Honestly, great job. I absolutely love this. Who doesn't love a book that opens with a woman? (laughs) Hurling a man with a hot potato. (laughs) (laughs) I was never going to open it any other way than that, was I? Let's be honest. (laughs) So let's start with that because she is called Kate Thompson. She is your entrance to this story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she was really the reason I got interested in East End women in the first place because I had... Basically, I'd gone up to Bethel Green and I was researching for ideas for a book and I met these two lovely women, Vera and Cathy, from Bethnal Green and they told me all about the Blitz and they really opened my eyes to what it was like to be a woman in East London. They said, oh, but you, you can't write a book without featuring the Bethnal Green tube disaster. Now, I'd never heard of that and I suspect a lot of people haven't. No, I hadn't either. So they took me down to Bethnal Green Underground and there was this tiny little sort of plaque devoted to the 173 people that died down there, which was about midway through the war. And I won't go into the ins and outs of it, but to praise it, basically, back then, Bethnal Green was not a working station. It was a, it was a shelter. And so there were hundreds of people queuing outside when an anti-aircraft rocket went off. And it caused, I wouldn't say a panic, but people pressed down to get underground. There was a woman carrying her baby who tripped on the bottom step. And it just caused this devastating pile-up. I mean, people just went down like dominoes. And with, I think it was within about 30 seconds, 173 people were asphyxiated, like crushed to death, many women and children. And I suppose really it was like kind of the Hillsborough of its day. And nobody, nobody really knew about it. I didn't know about it, certainly, because it was all, at the time, it was all hushed up by the government. Anyway, so there, there I am. And they gave me an order of service from a memorial service that they held each year for it. And there was Kate Thompson... And you know when you see your own name in a kind of line-up of the dead, you just, it gets, you know, you have yeah. an instant sort of personal connection to it. So I thought, well, OK, I'm going to research this woman. I'll see what I can find out about her. And the awful thing is, before I started it, in my head, she was a victim. I thought, oh, this woman's going to have led a pitiful life and, you know, in a kind of two-bedroom tenement. And she did, there's no doubt. She lived in one of the biggest slums in Bethnal Green in a place called Quinn Square, but when I found out about this woman, I was just blown away because she had she was a mother of nine and she was like basically the square's kind of chief female, if you yeah. like. She was the auntie. 
And, you know, she was the one that people would go to to lay out the dead, to birth new life, intervene in domestic disputes. She was like a warrior. She was a a mighty woman, and she led this three-week rent strike to reduce rents and raise living conditions in her area through the Blitz. She put out incendiary bombs on the roof. She helped nurse her neighbour's son through double pneumonia. There was nothing this woman couldn't do. So in my eyes, she, she sort of transformed from a victim to who she really was, which was the matriarch of the square and so for her to die in such a preventable pitiful way really struck me and that was the catalyst that really got me kind of interested in east end women and really totally opened my eyes to to the nature of matriarchy in the east end and how powerful it was you know because i had no idea I, i think like a lot of people of the sort of richness and the complexity of women's lives back then and the way they operated within their communities to keep it running and so that kind of opened the door, really. Yeah. And from then, I was like, I couldn't meet enough women and, and hear enough stories. That, that little girl that got pulled out by Irish, she's my friend. Is she? Yeah, we went line dancing for years together <laughs> yeah. in June. She's still alive. She lost her mum and dad. She lost quite a lot in that yeah. disaster. Yeah. And we've we done a, a dance, a load of dance, and we collected a thousand pounds. I meant to show you the photo. Do you know one of them little lights on the, the memorial? Yeah. Well, that co- one of them lights cost a thousand pounds. Yeah. But there is a memorial yeah. now. Oh, yes, beautiful. there is now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, seventy years on, it's taken them to, and it's and it's all been done by like a small charity. They've had no help, no, no donations. It's just literally yeah. standing on, yeah. you know, rain-swept high streets, rattling yeah. a bucket. It's taken the a youngest huge one there was six six months yeah. old, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. Like I said, that was the catalyst, and that's I suppose what led me to Mari's door, literally. Mari, you asked an advert in a newspaper. No, <laughs> so I put an advert in my East End, or this is no, East End Life. No, I got it off of a board in... Um, oh, did you? No, where was a board? Over the library. Oh, I went, did you? Yeah, I popped in the library, because they had some photos of uh, all the olden days, and I popped in there, and there was this thing, and I thought, I'll try that woman. Anyhow, I did. So she rings me up, <laughs> yeah, and she said, do you up. want to know about the East End of old? I'll tell you. Yeah. So I, yeah. up I rock. Yeah. <laughs> I'm walking down the street, and I can just... And I'd never met her before, and I just <laughs> saw the address in the distance, and there's a woman out there, and she's scrubbing out her wheelie bin with big really one. hot, big old wheelie bin with hot soapy water. I thought, what's she doing? And then she, you didn't even say hello. She just no. said, why does no one clean out their wheelie bins anymore? <laughs> I thought, that's a good introduction to a woman. You know, years ago, if your curtains and your doorstep wasn't clean, you got evicted. You'd always see the old ones out. They used to fight one another, so you've got to get there. Always started about four in the morning, clean their doorstep. There'd be white chalk or it'd be a black um, orange ochre. And um, he'd come around and he'd look and his gutters were spotless. You could play marbles mm. in the gutter. And was um, it you said that if you yeah. were the last woman out on the street, so in the morning every woman opened yeah. their door and she was out on her hands. Oh, they used to scrubbing. have the needle with one another. If they, she was, they, she, she beat that one. <laughs> <laughs> Getting up at the crack of dawn. I have to say women seem good at multitasking. I was really oh. taken with the story of... Healing your veg. Oh, the, yeah. The <laughs> yeah, a lot of the old Irish women, especially I think in the Jewish quarter of Whitechapel, yeah. yeah, they would take their vegetables to the pub to peel, which is multitasking yeah. on new levels. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. I know my mother in law used to pop her peas in the pub. She used to take, get. Did she? She used to, because they used to get their <laughs> shopping down the old road and then pop into the ship. And um, if they bought peas, they'd sit there popping them while they was having their Guinness. Yeah. I like the sound of that. In the book, you draw a comparison to Call the Midwife because you, it's it's the same geographical place, yeah. it's the same yeah. rough time Roughly frame the same area, you're, yeah. you're talking about. And it's a bit more wartime-based. Yeah. yeah. 
I think much like all the midwife, women had a really rough time of it. Oh, and God, yeah. we shouldn't take for granted the rights that we have now. Yeah. Most notably, we have no idea now, most, I think. Yeah, I mean, free, safe, legal abortion seems to be the thing that's <gasps> most friend, shocking. My friend's mother was an abortionist. And she, was she? she? Yeah, she, and, um, she got caught. She'd done about five years. Did she? Yeah. Really? Because one of the women I interviewed in the book, her mum was, and this was the most interesting thing for me, I think. She was a child-minded by day, but she was also the street abortionist, probably like your mate. Women just knew they went to her. And she wasn't like, I think abortionists are always painted as quite kind of shadowy, evil, kind of underhand women. But when in reality, they were just women with a hidden existence, but they were known to everybody in the community, and they were almost like doing a, a sort of public health service, in a sense, because... What are you going to do if you're a woman with nine, ten kids? A lot of them you know, died, though. I mean, I remember down our street, my mum's street, obviously, our school. We all stood outside and we wondered what was going on. This woman had about, I think she had about nine or ten kids and she just had an abortion. And oh, everybody was outside. I can remember them taking them away. Taking them away. The mum died, did she? Yeah, the mum died, yeah. I think it was about 11 child she was having there. And we, it was outside the school and... Of course, being kids, we just stood there and watched. All the kids was put out then. My sister had a little girl. Her mother had an abortion. She died. My mm. sister Winnie had, had that little girl for about two years. Also, women didn't seem to know a great deal about their bodies. And your Listen, story of, oh, of yeah. being in labour was when like, I went to, when, when I went in to have my baby, I had no idea that's where it came from. None <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> I always remember this nurse come and put, she put the screens around and she said to me, you got any family? So I said, yeah. So I've got two nans. I've got three sisters, got mum and dad. And she went, when are they going to teach these children who are having babies? And she sat there for about an hour teaching me. And when my sister came in, I cleaned her. From head to toe, my sister. <laughs> <laughs> I went at Jimmy. But you no. thought, didn't you, that that line... That yeah, I did. I had a brown line. I honestly, in gospel truth, I never knew that. And when my Winnie came in, I went, why didn't you tell me that's where babies come from? She went, I thought you knew, she said. But this, when I was in labour, this elderly nun said to me, why are you frowning? I went, oh, my God. I said, I never knew that's where... And she, another nurse said, it went in that way, that's why I had to come out. <laughs> she to have been so worse. Yeah, she didn't have to tell her yeah. weren't taught sex education, were they? No, you were naive. No. And if your mum didn't told, tell you, who were you reliable yeah. for your Do you knowledge? Know, I I went to bed one night. And I, I didn't have periods so late. I was late when I had periods. And I got home and I said, Nan, I said, I've got blood on my trousers. So she went, oh, you haven't cut yourself. She didn't tell me what to do or nothing. Next day, because me and mum and dad were separated, our mum lived there, my, my dad lived there, my mum lived there, and my sister lived in the middle, so... My nan said, you're sleeping at your sister's tonight. Anyhow, her mum was in the bed, and she went, you didn't cut yourself this morning, this is just as she said it. She said, you didn't cut yourself this morning, it's called having a period, she said, and you'll have it every month, and if you kiss a boy, I'll get into trouble, she I'll run you down the aisle with the first man I see. That was how I was introduced to it. <laughs> oh, well, that's so your knowledge. That was it. That's sex education. That was sex yeah. education yeah. in a nutshell. Yeah, wow. yeah. yeah that wasn't that The next night I was back in my own bed, and um, you wasn't allowed to speak about anything like that. I mean... Did you talk to your friends about it, though? Not really. I did say to Sheila once, She'll, do you have that blood come now? Because that's what we called it. So she said, no, not yet, Ma. But it was a thing that we know we didn't talk yeah. about it. No. 
I always thought, if a boy kisses me, I, I'm going to be running me down the aisle with Tom, Dick and Harry. That's oh. quite a good warning, isn't it? It's stuck oh. in your head. <laughs> Let's face it, men, before they went to war, they were bloody strict with their wives, weren't they? Even I used to have to say to my old man, Can, all right, if I go bingo tonight, and if he said no, it was no, and that was it. You couldn't argue with him. Mm. I mean, and all of a sudden, the men have gone away and the women's got freedom. Yeah. They're going to get a yeah. job. Liberation. You know, and when they come back, they didn't want them back. Yeah. Of course, of they course. didn't want them back. They, and their husbands thought they was going to come back and say, um, I'll have my tea and... You know, yeah. because women had come out of the home, them. Them, yeah. they? They'd gone yeah. into the factories, they'd tasted liberation, yeah. Yeah. freedom, autonomy, Think and they didn't it. want to give no. it up, did they? And, and that's interesting, because that brings me to another one of the mm. brilliant women in your book, which is Dr Joan. Oh, lovely um, Dr Who actually Joan. says in her piece that, you know, what the war reminded women was that they could actually be more than they yes. were allowed yeah. to be yeah. up until that Absolutely. point. Absolutely. She's sadly no longer with us, but she was an incredible woman. I'm really glad I got the opportunity to interview her just before her death. But she was... Uh, not originally from the East End, but she she was one of the few doctors to train, female doctors to train at the London Free throughout the Blitz. And, I mean, she was just incredible. She she basically devoted her entire life to her medical career. You know, the Blitz made turned her from a kind of budding wannabe trainee to a surgeon, really. So she was sort of operating at the hard end of things. And then she came through that. She survived the Blitz. Um, she worked as an ambulance driver by night, moonlighting. When she slept, I don't know... And she devoted her entire life to working in the slums and she wasn't a woman who went into medicine to further her own career. She genuinely wanted to bring about social change within the area she worked. She was on duty the night of the Bethnal Green Tube disaster and she told me the most horrendous stories of just sort of wading through corpses almost and and her memories of that time are so vivid. And she died, I think it was last year, age 103, Mm. And she said to me, and she said, She was lovely. She was amazing. And she said to me, Kate, what you have to understand is it was the women who won the war on the home front. She saw Mm. these East End women, she Mm. saw how they struggled, and she had nothing but respect for these women. And she said, It was these women who brought us through the war, you know, be, be under no illusions. But also, really interestingly, I thought she said to me, You know, young women today, they labour under the illusion that they can have it all, that they can have the career, they can have the baby, they can have everything she goes you can't she said you choose one or the other she goes I chose a marriage to medicine and it made me who I am and it was it was really interesting it stopped me in my tracks when she said that I mean I've got two young kids and I'm trying to work and I'm trying to juggle it all and I think as much as I might be loath to admit it I think she might be right to a degree you know she devoted her whole life to her career yeah, she was lovely. She, she was, was amazing. Yeah. You never guess she was old. old as no, one hundred and three. You know, worked all her life. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because a lot of the women that you interview in this book lived to a ripe old age. Oh yeah, yeah. My mum was going on for um, ninety. She was ninety, going on for ninety six, Nanny, wasn't she? She was ninety five. She was ninety eight. Yeah. Yeah. There's well, something about East End like women. That. I tell well, you, it's bread in the bone. They she are had tough. a lovely death, my mum. I was really struck when I was going around interviewing these women and I went to a Jewish community centre in Stepney, Beaumont Grove. Oh, yeah. And the average age in there, I mean, the oldest woman was 103. Then the oldest, sadly, she's passed away, but the oldest woman in the book at the moment, Beattie, was born on the 7th. 
of the seven. She's lovely, she is. Um, 1917. Yeah. So she's 102 now. Is she? Yeah. And I said to her, what do you put that down to? Like, how... how well, um, and she's got all her faculties. She's amazing. She was in the news last week for Dancing with Camilla. Got a, is it diet, do you think? I've got a friend. She's um, Anne, 90... She's 10 years older. Uh, she's 10 years older than me. She's 96. She walks up five flights mm. of stairs. That's it. Five flights, she yeah. says, and then when she gets in a flat, she's got another flight to her. Yeah. Yeah. And she, she goes down Watney Street every day. She, your but, your um, point on diet, as, as Nan used to have two fresh veg and meat every single day. Yeah. And pour the fat over it. Even when she couldn't stand, her seat was here, the yeah. table was there, and the, the oven was there. And she'd chop, swing, <laughs> but right up till when she couldn't, yeah. she went into that hospital meeting two veg every yeah. day no chemicals but I think exactly yeah. that women you know they never overate they never snacked they had three meals if they were lucky if they well, could what, get it could... and it was all fresh and yeah. it was all cooked from scratch but also I think it but... I think it goes deeper than that I think it's a, and it's exercise you say like walking up steps yeah women mm. did that a lot mm. but I think it goes deeper I think it's about being a part of a community none of these women have ever experienced uh, until maybe now but isolation or loneliness because they're always part of a much bigger community. Well, there was three of us. There's only three of us left now, and them two have gone seen our dimensions. <laughs> we still got you, though. There's only me and Anne left, I think. That is really interesting because that comes up a lot in your mm. book. The sense that something has been lost, not just in the East End, in yeah. towns and cities across the country, that we don't enjoy the sense yeah. of community. But, I mean, you could say it's a number of things that caused it, be it like technology or. Raising house prices or whatever. How do you get it back? Where I was born and lived, raised, if you go there, it's exactly the same. There's nev- no- nothing sorted. But, there's, they, but haven't the got their, um, they haven't got the, the what we had like. We used to know one another, and around the corner, you knew everybody around the square and that. You knew everybody. Now you go there, it's exactly the same because you're not allowed to alter it at all. The house I got bombed in is rebuilt. Oh, really? that, yeah, there was three of them there. There were six of them, but three got really bad. But they rebuilt them because it has to be, what's that Under word? Under a preservation. Yeah. Yeah. But they haven't got what we had. I, no, I really believe it's because when you were around, when you had that community and you enjoyed it, you had no welfare state. No. So neighbours were as no. close as family. Yeah. So everybody relied for survival on one another. Now we're, we're a cosseted and protected state. We, we don't have poverty like you knew poverty growing up. So I don't think when you don't have that network... I, think I do feel today. that was something that bound mm. neighbours close. You know what we don't have anymore is community halls. Yeah. Yeah. Even libraries. Are yeah, like they're they're going, but the community hall is is where look again yeah. at the midwife. Yeah. yeah. There was somewhere for people to gather. Yeah. And women weren't at work. Yeah. But there is. There's all these clubs for us. No, for, but, for, but, for age, younger but not people. for young mothers. Oh, no, no, you no. know that's right yeah. because they don't. Back in the East End, particularly, there was a massive, mm. a massive sort of feeling of, of philanthropy. So there were all these clubs set up for, for like youth clubs people everybody I spoke to went to a youth club if you were Jewish yeah. you went to the Brady Club mm-hmm. other people went to York Hall or wherever there was a great there was a lot of and things put in place can we talk about evacuation because I when I was a kid when I was a kid I was completely and utterly fascinated by evacuation really because of books like Harry's War and you know the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe they all hinged on those things 
And a number of women in my family were evacuated from London during the war. It wasn't until I was an adult that I found out that not all of those were happily. In fact, one of them was sorted. Yeah, a lot of them were sex. I'm not surprised that she was weird. You came across a lot of stories like that. Do you know what? It's I have to be honest, and then everybody has a different experience. But of all the people I interviewed, and it, and it must be running into hundreds now of people that were evacuated, there was only one who had had a positive experience. For the most part, I feel that women and men, boys rather, from the East End had a rough time of it because they were treated like lousy Londoners, as they called them. No, we were called, um, what were they who called? Dirty Londoners. Dirty or, Londoners, or vacuees, yeah. dirty vacuees, get back to your own country. Mm. Oh, they sometimes, all us Londoners stuck together and we used to both give them a clerk. <laughs> uh, but then we had a lovely boy named Ron and he kept the peace. So you say, mm. no, we're all one. Uh, where, were you, where were you sent? Well, first of all, we were sent to Windsor, and oh, she was a bar lab, she was down there. And then we, our mum brought us home because the war did. What happened was the war, war was declared, right, today. And all of a sudden, all the kids was chucked away, but the war didn't start for a year, did it? No. Yeah. And of course, rules. everybody was bringing their kids back, but yeah. this old one we was in, we four of us went, but when he went, because she was old, she had to go and she went in the post office. And there was Laura, Alice and I, and she let us go lazy, she did. And this particular day, her son came home from the war, and she kept us hungry, she did. And she laid a lovely table, and I asked for a bit more bread, and she kicked me under the table. I still got the scar, and I was only young. And when Laura and Alice used to go to school, she used to put me underneath the stairs, and she used to throw these leopard skins, leopards at she used to say, you can make a noise that come to life and kill you. I didn't even know what a leopard was, did I? <laughs> And now when he happened to come home and she heard me like whimpering, she said, what are you doing in there, so I said, shh, and I told her, and now Laura stole some money to get back home to our mum, and our mum come down. Oh, my God, <laughs> what that woman done to that woman. She um, knocked on the door, and she took one look at me and Alice, I'd gone lazy, and she'd cut me hair off to stick on the dolls, because she was making dolls for the, what's her name? Well, my mum hit her, and she had a... Know them pebbles you have on the door? Pebble dash. She got yeah. hold of it, and she wrapped it on the on the wall. She went, you bastard, oh. you won't hurt my... And I can remember all the little stones and the blood running down, and the copper come. My mum said, yeah, come and nick me. I couldn't care less. <laughs> she said, you nick me. The copper said, but look, so she'd walk... What I've done to her, she said, I ain't finished with her yet. She said, look... She's cut her hair off, she's got tiger in her hair. She's gone lazy, they're angry, she's got a scar. She went, bang, she hit her. Well, she knocked her angry. She came on, kids were going home and she walked home. And the copper did not touch her at all. It gave me nightmares for a little while. I can remember all the stones, tiny little mm. stones, but she rubbed her. Didn't do it once, she went, oh, 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 my child, give you, she said, hurt my babies. Yeah, she really you know, did. And that, you know, you're not the only yeah, one to have had no, that experience. I spoke to no. another one called Babs, and she had exactly the same yeah. thing, sent down to Torquay. She was treated, I mean, it was abuse. You would call it child yeah, abuse. Yeah. Her mum came down, wallop, knocked her out on the doorstep. Yeah. Oh, Women a lot of mothers tough, come down, in it? Um, yeah, yeah. But also, it's worth pointing out that not everybody was evacuated, were they? I spoke to lots of people who, you know, whose mother said, you know, if we die, we no, will die together. No. You're not going That's anywhere. That's why we so come home, because... Yeah. Um, and I'm telling you something else was wrong. When we went to Wales, we had to go, because my sister was having fits around this because of the bombs. Me, I didn't care less. As soon as the bombs was over, I was out collecting yeah. straight and all. 
Anyhow, um, we gets in this hole. Now, I could hardly speak. I had a bad impediment. A lot of words I still can't see. The kids have learnt me a lot of words. And we had to learn the Welsh National Anthem. Like, can you imagine? <laughs> I can't hardly speak. But anyhow, then we go. They, they took you a bunch of you and knocked on the door. Um, oh, well, I'll have that one. No, I'll, I'll have that one. And then we'd move along. And when we come to me and Alice, this auntie, what we called her aunt, she said, oh, I'll, I'll lift this one. So my Alice said, you're having me, you're having her. You know, because, well, she's black hair, brown eyes, I'm fair hair, blue eyes. Figure that one out yourself. <laughs> and um, she's, no, you can't be sisters. And the woman said, they are sisters, you know. And what a terrible time we had there. We ran away, all right? In Wales, they used to have these buckets, one on the... Do you remember them? Uh-huh. Well, they used to have, collect the coal, and there used to be these buckets. Well, I went up the mountain around, and then tip the buckets. Oh, okay. So these two girls, they didn't like it, so we go in the buckets, the four of us. We're sitting in the buckets, and, we're, and all of a sudden, we're going home, aren't we? But the man on the mountain happened to see us. We was going down, and we thought we was going down, on, you know, get the train. But if we'd stayed in there, we would have all been killed. When you eventually moved back to London, when to all London, the bis- yeah. bad bonds were dropping, yeah. Do you think you could ever leave the extent? No, or was that... never, never. Was it your granddaughter who bought a f- Oh, house yeah, my in? granddaughter. Her daughter, Cheryl, she's got a lovely like, cottage down the end of this garden. She takes me down there, so she said, Ain't it nice now? And I went, Yeah, I said, It's lovely. She said, I said, I'd be nice for your mum and dad. She said, No, it's for you, Nan. Me? I said, Where's the shovel? What do you want to show before? I said, well, put me there. You might just want to take an hold and put me in. I went, no way, I said. And then she offered to ask me to come. And then my son said to me, you build a little cottage at the end of my garden, he said. You could live, come and live with us. So I said, and what do I do at the end of your garden? I mean, I'm like a gnome. The only way I'm ever going to leave Stepney is in a wooden overcoat. And that's it. But you're not the only one. Every woman in the book no, still lives no, in Tower Hamlets, no. as they call it now. But, yeah. you know, be that Stepney, Bethnal Green Bow. They're, and they're so rooted there. You know, mm-hmm. they come from generations of women. They're not leaving because that's been their home, you know, through war, yeah. through the Depression. There's, it's just a part of who you are. You can't... And to wrench somebody from that would be like wrenching them from their roots, really, yeah. literally, wouldn't it? But I've got, I ain't got a bad life. Monday I go um club. And I have a lovely dinner for £2. We play different games. <laughs> Monday night else. I go to a bingo club. Tuesday I go over Canary Wall. Tuesday night I go bingo big club. you've already club. got a better social than I have already. <laughs> and me. <laughs> <laughs> Wednesday I do my housework Wednesday. Thursday I go to a club. Friday I go to two clubs on Friday. And Saturday, I might go wherever I feel like going. She's never in. When I try to interview, yeah. she's always out somewhere. <laughs> Sometimes Mari goes down the South Bank, and what's your ploy if you see a man with a clipboard? He's on a tour, you jump on the back, don't you? Oh, yeah, no, what it was, <laughs> we went South Bank once, and you know the big wheel? Yeah. London well, I've been on it once, and I was up there. <laughs> I, I'd made a mistake. I thought it was the Irish stew out there that week, but it wasn't. It was the following week. So this woman was doing the flag, and I thought, yeah, I will. I will, if I get cocky. So I just followed her on and made out with them. <laughs> <laughs> I've done, that. A, few ways that I've done that a lot. I've got years ago, a couple of years ago. Theatre trips, you name it. I um, used to come up here, and I'd wait till the show starts and go in, and they used to go and go in.
I think yeah. she's I got think, the cheek of the devil. Cut, we need to put an end to this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> can I just can I just make one final point? Sorry, if that's right. This year is the 80th anniversary of the outbreak of World War Two, and I just think that we'll probably see a load of a sort of raft of new books, you know, celebrating the services and the Women's Institute, women who made jam in sort of dusty church halls and you know, the army, but you never, ever hear the social history of working-class women like Mari, and that's what I'm, I want to do with this book. I want to amplify yeah. their voices, because these women like Mari, they are the women missing from the history books, so it's really important now, while we still have the chance, that we get the chance to share yeah. in their memories. But I have to say this, work in collaboration with the Eastern Women's Museum, who are amazing, and they have the same goals as me, which is to amplify voices like Mari, women who've, who've you know, played a really important part in the matriarchal... Society. So they are a new museum just all about that, basically, praising women who've played a really important yeah. part in the social, political, sort of economical history of East London. And they are opening, I think, in a physical premises in Barking, um, hopefully this year. So yeah, this is a first, yeah. and it's a fantastic, fantastic um, operation. So the East End Women's Museum, I think everybody should support them. Yeah, amazing. I, I think that was lovely, that place we went with um, Where was that? Where they oh, had all the that was the WBS. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never got them photos. I took Mari to the um, the Oxo Tower. They're having yeah. a cel- uh, it was an was anniversary lovely. of fo- a photographs. She yeah. goes marching up there. Don't you drink the champagne? Yeah. And there was a, a woman there. Who was that? Um, Elaine Page. Yeah, Elaine Page. You would think she was Miss Sister, wouldn't you? Because yeah. we were so alike, wouldn't we? <laughs> I could take her anywhere. She could chat to anyone, I tell you. Yeah. We took her to the BBC. It took me about half an hour to get her through the door because she was chatting to the security guards. <laughs> yeah, but he did want to date me, didn't he? He did. He wanted to date me. <laughs> Standard issue for all women.